Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Amy, and I am one of the pastors here at Incarnation. And a big thanks to our kids for telling Woo! us the story of the birth of Jesus. Thank you so much. You guys were wonderful and amazing, and I'm so grateful. And I'm really grateful to all of you for being here, for braving damp ground, and I mean, it really kind of smells like a manger in here, and we have this very unpredictable heat source that keeps tripping breakers and turning on and off, and sometimes it's hot and sometimes it's cold, so thank you all for being here and celebrating the birth of Jesus in this tent. And I think there's something really appropriate about the place that we are celebrating his birth tonight, because we're remembering the king who was born in a stable. the next couple of minutes talking about King Jesus, talking about his kingdom. And so you might have seen on your way in, we have these gold pipe cleaners. And so while I'm talking, if you want to use those to make yourselves a crown, to think about the king, or maybe you want to make yourselves a halo to remember those angels who sang the birth of this newborn king, or maybe you want to make anything you like, or maybe you just want to grab some colored pencils and color in all these pictures that are on your worship guide. You can do any of those things, and grown-ups, so can you while I'm talking this afternoon. But before you get too involved in making crowns or coloring or whatever, I have a couple of questions for you. Some of you might have seen some of these things on your way in, so you might already know the answer. But I'm curious, does anyone know the name of a really famous ballet that we often go and see this time of year? You can just call it out. That's right. It's the Nutcracker. Uh, can you raise your hand if you have ever gone to see the Nutcracker Ballet? Almost. Almost? Yeah, Herod almost made it to the ballet. Uh, what if thou ever hear the music to the Nutcracker? And then what about, do you know the story of the Nutcracker? Fewer hands. Okay, I thought that might be the case. So my kids, when they were younger, this was our favorite Nutcracker book. You can tell because it is completely falling apart. We loved it so much. I've read it so many times. I won't read it to you tonight because I could probably recite it by memory. But um, I'm going to ask the kids to help me just really quickly retell the story of the Nutcracker because we're going to use that to kind of grab hold of what we heard from the prophet Isaiah a few minutes ago. So, in the Nutcracker, first of all, what day does it take place on? Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve! That's right, there's a big Christmas party for a little girl named Clara and her brother Fritz, and they live in this grand house with a Christmas tree, and all of their family and friends are gathered there for a party. And Clara's godfather brings her a really special gift at this party. Does anyone remember what he brings her? A Nutcracker! And in fact, I have an object to demonstrate. It's a nutcracker. That's right. So Clara's godfather brings her a nutcracker. I'm just going to set this guy down. And then, as often happens, Clara and her brother Fritz, they get into an argument, they start fighting, and Fritz accidentally breaks the nutcracker. And Clara is devastated. Her godfather sort of bandages it up, but Clara is so sad, she actually goes to sleep, cradling this nutcracker on the couch 
in front of the Christmas tree, and when she falls asleep, she has a dream. Does anyone remember what starts scurrying into the room when she's dreaming? Mice! That's right! The room fills up with mice. And all of a sudden, this evil, multi-headed villain comes in, and he leads these mouse armies against the Nutcracker and his army of toys. Does anyone remember the name of this big, evil, multi-headed bad guy? Yeah, the Rat King or the Mouse King, that's right. So, the Mouse King and his armies of mice, they are doing battle against the Nutcracker and his army of good toys. And it actually looks like the Mouse King is about to win. He has the Nutcracker pinned to the ground and it seems like everything is lost. And then something happens right before the Mouse King's victory. Does anyone remember what to jump up to grab his sword and to finally defeat the, or the Mouse King once and for all. And you would think, if you were reading this book or watching this ballet, that that would be the end of the story, right? Like, the bad guy has lost, the good guy has won, but actually, it's not even the end of the first act. Every time I've seen this ballet or read this story, I'm always struck by the fact that there is so much more story at the end than at the beginning. Even when the evil thing has been overcome, the end of the story is so much longer than the beginning. And what happens in this story is the Nutcracker becomes a prince. He and Clara travel to this amazing place called the Land of Sweets, where they see all these incredible dancers from around the world representing the most delicious things they could eat and drink, and they just have this incredible feast of beauty and joy and light and fun and dance until Clara wakes up again. And I think that this idea from the Nutcracker, that so much more of the story happens at the end than at the beginning, is actually really helpful for us finding our place in the story from Isaiah that Buzz read a few minutes ago. And now I'm going to find my place in my notes. Because Isaiah gives us this vision in chapter 9, this vision where the end of the story is longer than the beginning. This vision of a life with God extending into eternity, extending into something everlasting and unending, that is a lot longer than this part of life, which feels so hard. And Isaiah starts this chapter by talking about in the former time and then in the latter time. Former and latter, or before and after. And the people that Isaiah is talking to find themselves in the middle of those two times. The former time refers to when this enemy army had conquered them, and had occupied their lands and was actively oppressing them when Isaiah is prophesying. It's this time that felt really full of darkness, really full of waiting and hopelessness and hardship and despair. And then the latter time that Isaiah talks about looks forward to this day when those armies would be turned back, when their land would be restored, and when the people would again live in peace. 
And how would that happen? Well, it would happen through something really small and weak, a baby. Isaiah says, for a child has been born to us, a son given to us. And now, at first, the people listening to Isaiah thought they knew who this child was. They thought it was King Hezekiah, a little baby boy who had just been born and would grow up to be the king. And he was the son of the king who was in charge now, who had really made a mess of things. And so they were hoping that this child would bring the peace that they had longed for, that he would restore them. And in fact, baby Hezekiah grew up to be King Hezekiah, and he was a really good king. He did defeat all their enemies. But Isaiah isn't just talking about King Hezekiah. He's talking about a hope that is going to outlive Hezekiah and outlive all the kings who would come after him and all of the other enemy armies who would come and go, who would oppress them, who would take them into exile, who would treat the people wrongly and take what wasn't theirs. All of these hard times, all of this violence, all of this hunger and homelessness and hopelessness that they were still going to go through, Isaiah is talking about a king that will outlast those times, a peace that will be longer than their hardship. And people kept finding hope in Isaiah's words long after Hezekiah died, because Isaiah's message was about more than just this time and place. It was about the reality that God is in the midst of that time and place. That God is in charge of their story. That God is always actively at work in the world to set things right. And that one day he will do it forever. Even when everything feels hopeless. Even when all they can see is darkness. It's in that moment that God promises a king who will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, a King whose authority will be great and who will have endless peace. And can you even imagine now a world of endless peace? If you think about the place that feels most hopelessly out of whack in the world today, a conflict that feels like you can't even imagine how it could possibly end. Maybe it's Gaza. Maybe it's Ukraine, or maybe it's a situation in your own family, or in your own friendships, or inside of yourself, in your own life, in your own heart. But somewhere where the wrong feels so big, you really can't imagine it being set right. And God promises that even in those places, one day there will be a king who will bring a peace that will be endless that will last forever, and will reach to the hardest places. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, we find out Jesus is that king. Jesus quotes this part of the prophet Isaiah, and he says, I'm here to fulfill this. And then he goes all around telling people in that land that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is how the Bible talks about the realm where God reigns as king, where all things are governed by God's goodness, his loving kindness, his mercy, his justice. And Jesus shows people throughout his life what that kingdom looks like 
what it feels like, what it tastes like when the kingdom has come near. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He raises the dead. He writes injustices. And he challenges all the powers that have been pressing people down, mocking and opposing God and his people for all these years. Jesus' life showed what it was like when a wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace is reigning as king. How everything wrong begins to be made right. And Jesus' birth was able to bring that kingdom near because Jesus is God the king in human flesh. God the king of the cosmos. God the one who created everything humbled himself to be one of us, to be a humble little baby. He took on all of the weakness and the vulnerability and the evil and the death and the sorrows of our humanity, and he put those powers to death on the cross. And then he rose to new life and took his rightful place as king of heaven. And now we wait for that king to return, to finish what he started, to heal sin and death forever, to establish his kingdom of peace forever. And the end of this story will be so much longer, so much bigger and more beautiful than the beginning. But if we go back to our nutcracker metaphor for just a minute, it feels sometimes like we are living in this time between when Clara has struck the mouse king with her slipper, but the nutcracker has not yet pulled out his sword to finish him off. And the evil mouse king has been struck down, and the nutcracker's victory is sure, and his sword is in his hand, and he's jumped to his feet, and he's ready to cast the final blow, but it hasn't happened yet. We're right in between those times. Jesus really has defeated evil and sin and death on the cross, but he hasn't yet returned to make it right and to do it in full. And sometimes it feels like maybe he never will. Is he really coming? Maybe the mouse can will win. And we wonder why. Why didn't God throw something bigger and stronger than a child's slipper at this world's great evil? Why didn't he send something more powerful than a little baby? Why didn't he just wipe out all wrongs with one big blinding flash of his power? But that's not how God works. Instead, God has chosen to work through what is small, and what is slow, and what is humble. And he invites us to follow the way of Jesus that works like that. To reveal God's love to each other, to our neighbors, to the whole world, through work that is often small, and slow, and humble. But we know God is with us in it, right here. And in the meantime, it can be hard to believe in a kingdom that we can't see except in little glimpses. Hard to hold on to hope when the world feels so dark. But the promise of God in Isaiah, the promise of God in Jesus, the promise of God through the whole story of Scripture is that one day God will set the world right. He will establish his kingdom. He will be our Prince of Peace forever. And the end of this story will be so much longer and better and more beautiful than the beginning. Amen.